uh, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. We have a these last several weeks together been been looking at um, how Jesus invites us to approach God, to talk to Him, to think about life, and it's all contextualized in this idea of prayer. There was this occasion where Jesus' disciples came to him and said, you know, Lord, we we see all these other teachers teaching their students how to pray. Um, How do you want us to think about God? How do you want us to prioritize what we talk to him about? How do you want us to kind of approach him? And he said these words, we've been doing this for several weeks, um, but that being said, if you know it, um, say it along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Stop there. That's what Jesus taught them. And what we've been talking about is that when Jesus gave them this prayer, He really wasn't giving them like a prayer to say on autopilot. He wasn't giving them magic words to say. He wasn't giving them something that was supposed to be a mantra. He was giving them a worldview. He was giving them a way of looking at God and life and ourselves and what's truly important and the situation we're in with snapshot little phrases. So each phrase encapsulates an entire framework, an entire Field of reference for how we come to God. Makes sense, right? And the one that we are hitting today is the very last thing you said. Can you say it one more time? I'll kick it off, and then you say the next line. And lead us not into temptation. Yeah, you all say it the same way. Deliver us from evil. But that's not what Jesus said. He said this. Deliver us from the evil one. You say deliver us from evil because, well, that's how the King James Bible puts it. And your great-great-great-grandparents used to say it that way in church. And your great-great-parents, grandparents learned from them. And your great-grandparents from them and your grandparents from them. It goes to show how much of what we do and think and say is based on the rote tradition of memory as opposed to what Jesus said himself. But the ancient manuscripts, every single modern translation, the Roman Catholic tradition, they all put it this way, deliver us from the evil one. And that's because they're right. I don't think many people have too much of an issue with the abstract concept of evil. Most people, I think, can look at life in the world and in some abstract way kind of go, yeah, there's this thing called good and this thing called evil. But Jesus makes it much more specific than that. He doesn't see just an abstract concept of evil. He sees and identifies an evil one. And the Bible and Jesus will, will, will label him all different kinds of ways. They'll call him the father of lies, the, the ruler of the prince of the air, the god of this world, the lord of the flies, Beelzebub. I don't care if you call him the devil. I don't care if you call him Satan. I don't care if you call him by the name of your ex-spouse. All right? <laughs> All right. 
The one hit close to home there, huh? <laughs> the fundamental point <laughs> is that Jesus does identify it, right? <laughs> An evil, malevolent person who hates God and is intent on corrupting and destroying everything that's important to him. Um, just like good emanates from God, that all things good emanate from God, in some way, the Bible will say all things evil, in some way connect to this evil one. And what Jesus invites us to do in this prayer is identify it. It's to identify that we have an enemy and to call it by name. Did you know that you have an arch enemy? You may be thinking, like, I'm only 12. How can I have an arch enemy? Or, you know, I'm a nice guy, right? I'm a nice guy. I get along with everyone. You know, you may have the collective fight in your soul of a wet rag, all right? It doesn't matter. You have an arch enemy, there is one who is gunning for you. And, and, and whether this is the serpent deceiving Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, to the dragon of Revelation waging war against the offspring of humanity, to the accuser coming before the throne room of God in Job, to the demonization of people you see throughout the Gospels, to Satan asking Jesus if he could sift Peter like wheat. You have an arch enemy who is gunning for you by virtue of being human. You have a target. Do you see it? Look down. Look closely enough. Do you see it? A target on your front and on your back. That this one who Jesus identifies, well, here is the evil one, is gunning for. Life is war. Prayer is war. And I love how Paul will frame this. He says, look at this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. They use this metaphor of putting on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, and he identifies it, the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground because life is war and prayer is war. And Jesus wants to open our eyes to this greater reality that stands behind the things of our sensory reality that we often try to make sense of. And the Bible will describe all different kinds of ways this evil one acts and operates. And what I'd like to do is just kind of walk you through a, a sampling of ways that the Bible will describe him doing his work um, 
You know, so many of us, I think, have this, this Hollywoodized idea, right? Of, of what the devil is. It's either this, like, this, this, this ferocious monster with the horns and the tail and the pitchfork or this comical image of this like, Halloween costume with the horns and the pitchfork and the tail. But neither really captured the way the Bible talks about the evil one. You know, here's, here's one picture I'd like to show you that I think captures it better than anything. Can you figure it out? You know what that picture is? What are you looking at right there? Pile of moss? It's a sniper. It's a sniper that's cloaked. A sniper that's hidden. A sniper that will gun you from a mile and a half away with absolute precision. Let me read to you again from that, that Ephesians passage we just looked at. Remember that armor of God thing? As part of it, Paul writes, in addition to all this, take up a shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You ever see like a medieval movie, you know, go back to Braveheart, go back to Gladiator, go back to any of those, those pre-gunpowder day movies where you've got those archers who are standing safely afar, drawing back. What does a sniper do? He takes you safely from afar, waiting patiently, looking for the mark, and you don't even know what Hit you. I think this idea that Ephesians talks about with the flaming arrows is an intentional one. It speaks to the way that this evil one operates. So many people have this idea, it's like going face to face with something in the exorcist. That's not how he works. He waits for those times of vulnerability. He waits. For the times when the guard is down, he waits for the times when you're seemingly unprotected and hurls the pains and the miseries and the temptations and the struggles and the torments from afar. Welcome to your arch enemy. It's one of the ways the Bible describes them. Let me show you a second. From 1 Peter, chapter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, picturing him as strong, as fierce, as predatory. Have you ever gone face-to-face with a lion? Like, no one wants to be the zebra, in that picture. But that's kind of how First Peter describes it. He is like a lion looking to devour you. And how does a lion attack? He tries to separate you from the pack. And when you're isolated and alone and unprotected from the community, he strikes the hard thing about a lion is like, who, who, who can sit there and go, how do you go face to face with that? But you know you actually can. 
um, they actually had these all throughout Colorado. What to do if you encounter a lion? Let me show it to you. Here's the signs you'll see on the paths. Face lion, back away slowly. Be large. Shout. Keep children close. Pick up children without bending, which sounds like a good idea, but have you ever tried it? It's like, how do, you know, how does that work? I hope my kid is like eight pounds, right? If attacked, fight back. What did it say? Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Because if you do, he will flee. You guys ever read the worst case scenario survival handbook? It has a picture for mountain lions. It's my favorite. There it is. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But this is what they tell you. If you encounter a lion, make yourself big. Stand your ground. Resist him. And he will flee from you. What does Paul write to people? Our, 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 our battle, our, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the dark powers of this world, the forces and principalities of the evil realm. And he says, in Christ, take your stand. That though he may be a lion and though he may be fierce, we are not victims to him because of what Christ has done for us. But more than a lion, it's this other image that I think is more prevalent, more insipid. You know what's worse than a lion? A snake. From the beginning, a snake that is a snake with everything that word connotes, right? And we always rush to like, you know, the king cobra or some rattlesnake we come across. But you know what the real issue with snakes are? They can find any hole to slither in. Leave something unexposed if you live in snake country and they will find a way in. In our home, it looks a little bit different. It looks like that. <laughs> Which is worse? <laughs> now, I, 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 I'm going I'm to make a case here today. I don't want to come across a lion if I'm walking down the street. But I know how to deal with a lion. You know how you deal with a lion? Stay inside and close the door, right? Keep your hands inside the boat at all times, and you're going to be just fine. But a mouse, it, it has a way of, of, of working its way in. I'm kind of having this crisis at home right now because we get mice, and I can't figure out how they're getting in. Daily, or, or, or at least weekly, it's going, oh, there's one in the trap. Again, um, my daughter, who's 10, Riley, 
and I were reading this book called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. You ever hear of it? And it's basically this, this story about um, the oppression of mice and how they're trying to flee from human tyranny. So we're reading this at night, and then the next morning, it's like I'm taking dead mice out of the traps right before her eyes, and I can't figure out how to keep them from getting in. Because they need a whole, like, this, don't they? It's not that I can't figure out how to keep them from getting in. It's that I'm too lazy. I mean, I could go around the house with flashlight trying to find every little crevice in a hole and shoving steel wool and boarding it up and foaming it in. It's just not worth it to me. And so what do they do? They find their way in leaving their droppings, chewing stuff up, hearing them in the wall, anyone want to come over for dinner tonight? (laughs) You know what I mean, though? The devil has a way of finding its way in. And in the process, bringing disease and making a mess, chewing things up and evading at all costs. We are in a battle against one who Jesus identifies as an arch enemy. And he invites us to pray, deliver us from him. Oh God, deliver us not just from abstract ideas of suffering, not just from abstract kinds of ideas of torment, not just from the evil of the world, deliver us from him. Because there's one who's gunning for us. And somehow and in some way, when Jesus invites us to pray, he sees it as important that we know what we're up against and how to identify him. And so he says, deliver us from the evil one. Because that's what God is. A deliverer. God is deliverer is the fundamental description that you see of God from beginning to end. I know Mark just up on stage a moment ago talked about how God is love. Well, he is, but he's something even more than that. He's deliverer. From the Exodus story of God coming and rescuing his people and bringing them out. From the shouts of Hosanna, which literally means God save us. That that marked the people of God through history. To the poets writing things like the, war, the, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. To Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning. To him driving the demons out. To the promise of the end of the victory he has when he comes and crushes him under his feet. From beginning to end, Jesus wants to make something clear. We live in a world at war. And that brings with us the evils and the torments and the horrors of war in every array. In every array. But, but, but God is your deliverer. And I tell you, that lion has no chance against the lamb. That Jesus came to bring deliverance from one who we would be a hapless victim against. 
from the forces of evil in this world, that we would be hapless victims against. And Jesus comes and says, turn to me. Turn to me. Because I am the one who can deliver you from it. It is no accident that this final phrase that Jesus taught his disciples deliver us from the evil one comes at the end because it becomes the sum total, the culmination of all the things that we've been praying for and struggling against to this point. Because he will do, the devil will do, everything in his power to keep you from seeing God as your father. And thinking of him that way. He will do everything in his power to keep God's name from being hallowed in your life and in this world. He will do everything in his power to undermine his kingdom and will. He will do everything in power to deny you your daily bread. To work spirits of unforgiveness. So deliver us, God. He teaches us to pray. Help us to see what the contextual world is in which we live. Deliver us from the evil one. It's what's important to Jesus. It's what he saw. It's how he asks us to pray. I like this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. No one wants to be in a war. But there's hope in the middle of it. It's what he offers to you. Seek him that way. Let's rise and pray. Let's pray. Deliver us, God. Not from misfortune or struggle or bad luck as though these are random things. Deliver us from the one that you identified as the evil one the one who hates us, the one who hates you, the one, whether we like it or not, seeks to destroy. Deliver us, we pray. May we stand firm in your power and in your strength against his attacks and deceptiveness. Forgive us, God, when we We choose his way 
rescue us, God. And every time we face it. And may we never forget that victory, final victory, in you becomes ours. And this coming our way, may we give him no place for a foothold in our lives. God, hear our, hear our prayers right now. As we turn those places of of darkness in our own lives over to you. Please pray with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Jesus died for you. And the Bible will describe that as nothing short of victory over the strongest forces of darkness that exist. The Bible will say when Jesus died on that cross, it made a mockery of the evil one, showing his weakness, his frailty, his futility for what it is. May you in him find rescue deliverance redemption Amen